Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Good morning, church. Um, I hope you are all well. Um, as you can see, I'm not with you guys there today. Um, all week, I've been, been, I've been battling a virus. Um, it is actually pretty contagious. And as it's also been pretty miserable, I thought it would be best to uh, avoid close contact with you guys there today. Um, and so at the time that you're watching this, I'm at home. But nevertheless, we will hear from God's word today. Um, it will just look a little bit different. Um, but anyways, uh, I'm happy that you are all together and excited for what the day holds. Um, as we begin, let me just say that today it is my deep desire that the gospel would be loudly proclaimed, our hearts would genuinely praise our Lord, and we would desperately see our need for a Savior and find our lives transformed by Jesus Christ. And I hope you will join me in that today. Today we are continuing our series called Healthy Church. Um, ironically, we are going through this series as we have a few people in the church that are under the weather today, including myself and the worship team. Um, so we are not so healthy church going through a series called Healthy Church. Um, and I guess God has a, a sense of humor in that. Um, but anyways, in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring a few characteristics that make up healthy churches. Um, these are by no means an exhaustive list of, of what it is to be a healthy church, but they are some qualities and structures. We see them in place and are functioning as they should. We see that healthy churches exist. So last week, David preached for us on church membership. Uh, today, we're going to look at church leadership. And next week, we're going to look at church planting. And so as we explore these, what I want us to see is that we want to develop people in this church so that we can have healthy members, healthy leaders, and healthy planters, so we exist as a healthy church. Um, today, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at healthy leaders. Um, we're going to look at a few texts from where we see this in the Bible, but the main one for today that we're going to be looking at is First uh, Timothy chapter three. Chapter three. Uh, first. Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to be for today. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to join along with us. Um, and we're going to read it um, for us here today. Here's what it says. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he, is, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up, become puffed up with conceit and, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. 
Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray and we'll dive into our text for today. Um, God, we thank you that you are sovereign over all um, that is going on in the world, all that is going on in in our church today. Um, you knew that this was going to happen. Um, you knew that um, sicknesses um, were going to run through the church, um, and that is okay. Um, and yet your word is still going to be proclaimed today, and we praise you for that. Um, so we ask you as we um, hear your word preach, God, would you soften our hearts to it? Would you help us to understand um, the, the structures that you have uh, placed in the church and, and would we have a, a deeper love for um, uh, the leadership and how we relate as people, as, as the church to um, the leadership in the church. God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're going to dive right in here. Um, what we see from our text here today and throughout the rest of the, the New Testament is that there are two types of formal leadership within the church. Uh, two types of formal leadership in the church. These would be elders and deacons. Elders and deacons. And our text today refers to the elder position as overseer. Um, we'll get into that in a little bit, but for now you can just see that those two terms are, can, can, they can be considered interchangeable, overseer and, and uh, elder. They are synonymous with one another. Um, so we're going to spend our time together unpacking what each of these positions are. So let's begin at the moment by looking at deacons. Uh, deacons, what are deacons? So that word deacon, as we saw from our text today, is a word that just means servant. Um, this, this word is mentioned about 30 times in the New Testament, and most of the time it is just translated as servant. So I'll give us a few examples here. Um, John 12, 26, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves the Father, uh, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Matthew 23, 11 says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Mark 9, 35, again says, and he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So that same word that we see in 1 Timothy, translated as deacon, is translated elsewhere in the New Testament as servant. That is because throughout most of the New Testament, it has a general meaning as someone who serves. However, what we see in our text for today and a handful of other passages is that it also gets translated as deacon when there is a more specific application. Right. So our passage today 
uses that word to describe the qualifications of someone who is formally in the role of a servant or deacon. So all that to be said, a deacon is someone who serves. They are someone who is in a formal position as a servant. So then, what does that look like more specifically, right? If, if a deacon serves, what kind of serving do they do, right? What is the role of a deacon? And so I like to take, uh, take us to, to the book of Acts uh, and read from, uh, for us um, uh, an example of, of deacons being utilized in the early church. So this is the, the first example, actually, of, of the deacons being used in, in the church. Um, so this is from Acts 6, and this is what it says. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and uh, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a, pros a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what we see here is this is the first case of the church using deacons. Um, we see that the, the early church is growing, right? But what we see is that there's a problem within the church. What's the problem? Well, there are certain widows, Greek widows, um, that are being neglected in the daily food distribution. And so what does the, the, the church do, right? The elders task the church to come up with seven people to take on this dispute. Uh, they come up with seven deacons, essentially, that will handle the issue so that they can be devoted to prayer and preaching. And I believe that there's a lot that we can learn from this passage about the role of a deacon. So let's get into a, a few things here. Um, number, number one thing I want us to see is that deacons lighten the load of elders. Deacons lighten the load of elders. We see this in this passage that the, the deacons were assigned to take something off the plate of the elders in the church, right? The, the issue that had arisen had apparently gotten in the way of the elders fulfilling their responsibilities. Verse 2, it says, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So with the many issues that arise in the church, the elders assign deacons to serve in this way so that they can be devoted to preaching and to prayer. And this is how we intend to have deacons serve at Renaissance as well. So, for example, um, knowing that I would likely be unable to be at service today and that our worship team was sick, and I'm unable to come as well. Um, I approached uh, this, the, the group of prospective deacons with this situation. I asked them 
to, to fill in gaps as needed, as there is little that I can do from home. Um, and because my time uh, at the moment would, have, would be better served praying and preparing the message for today. And so this is um, similar to, to the example that we see in Acts. The deacons were used to lighten the load of the elders. Um, second thing I want us to see here is that deacons meet practical needs in the church. Deacons meet practical needs in the church. So the issue that the church was facing was a tangible need. It was a very tangible need. Some, some people were being neglected in the church from the food distribution, and, and there needed to be a very real solution. Right? The Hellenist widows needed to get their food. So deacons were tasked to deal with this issue. Now, it doesn't say that they were responsible for, for providing all the food, right? Perhaps um, they had the, the church chip in a little bit more. Maybe everyone got a little bit less to start so that everyone got enough food. Um, whatever the solution was, it was the deacon's responsibility to make sure that it got done. I think we can imagine similar situations here at Renaissance where there may be someone who who needs food. Someone like, uh, so something like this would be a, a great task for deacons to take on because deacons meet practical needs in the church. Next thing I want us to see is that deacons take on issues that have spiritual implications. Um, another thing to, to, to point out here is, is that the issue at hand had very real spiritual implications, right? Lest we think that the role of a deacon is just to, to move around chairs on a Sunday or hand out coffee. Not saying that, that that stuff is not important, but sometimes churches have the habit uh, of only relegating tasks to deacons that seem to be just busy work, right? Cleaning up or, or building maintenance or whatever it may be. Uh, but let, us remind, let, let me remind us that, that the widows that were being neglected were being neglected because they were of a certain ethnic group. Right? It, was the only, it was only the Hellenist widows that were being neglected. And so the deacons were tasked with handling an issue of unity within the church. The, the resolution of this matter had very real spiritual implications. The unity of the church, no matter where someone comes from. So deacons take on issues that have spiritual implications. All of that considered... Then another question we ought to ask is this, what qualifies someone to become a deacon? What makes someone a, a viable candidate to become a deacon? Well, that's where we get back into First uh, Timothy, our text, uh, our text that we originally read. So um, that text has some very clear requirements of, for the role of the deacon. And we're not gonna go into them in, in too great of detail, but this is what Paul tells us about what deacons ought to be like. Let's go back to, to 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. First thing he says is that deacons ought to be dignified. In other words, they ought to be respectable or honorable. They should, they should be held in high regard by others. Um, that's pretty straightforward. If someone isn't respected in the church, it would be difficult to have them in a formal leadership role. Right? Deacons also must not be double-tongued. This means they, 
They mean what they say. They are credible. They follow through with what they say they will do. A couple weeks ago, you may remember Juan preached for us on James chapter 5. In it, James tells us um, in, in verse 12, it says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So deacons are to be consistent in what they say. In other words, not double-tongued. Next, they should not be addicted to much wine. They shouldn't be alcoholics or be getting drunk. Deacons should not be greedy for dishonest gain. Perhaps uh, a role for a deacon might be handling the church finances. And it would be very foolish to, to give that role to someone who is greedy or not honest in their financial dealings. They must hold the, the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Um, in my studies this week, I found out that, that Paul use, uses this term, mystery of faith, to refer to the gospel. In other words, deacons ought to have, a, ought to have clear convictions of the gospel. They must be fully convinced of the grace received by Jesus Christ and have that lived out in their lives. Verse 10 says that they should be tested and be allowed to serve if they prove themselves blameless. Essentially what he's saying is that deacons ought to be faithful in their serving. If married, the deacon's wife must have godly character, dignified, not a slanderer, sober-minded and faithful. Why would this be important, right? Well, I'd say Paul probably includes this in the list for a couple of reasons. One, again, the quality of, of being dignified is mentioned for wives, which means they ought to be well thought of by the church. Right? Another reason might be that it could get really messy trying to solve problems in the church if your spouse is the cause of some of them, right? If they're slandering others or if they're unfaithful. So, so Paul includes this requirement for deacons' wives. Next, deacons must be the husband of one wife. They ought to be faithful. And finally, Paul says that deacons must manage their children and their own households well. This shows that they are responsible for, for leading their home well spiritually. They should teach their wives and this, their children to love Jesus. Now, um, that is a, a, a bit of a long list. I'm sure we could go into much more detail about each one of these, uh, but that would take uh, much too long. But uh, here's what I want to do. I want to just say a couple things about this. Um, one, notice that nearly all of these things on the list of qualifications have to do with the person's character, right? There's, there's no requirement to have a university degree or to be a handyman. There's not a list of skills that are required to become a deacon. You don't have to have a certain IQ or have been to seminary. Um, no, you must exhibit good character. Um, second thing I want us to, to see is that these are all characteristics that every Christian should exhibit, right? Every one of these qualifications is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible as characteristics that all believers should hold. We all ought to be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to wine, not greedy, cling to the gospel, be blameless and faithful. 
and, and manage our homes well. This list applies to all of us. But the difference between those who are qualified and those who are not is that the deacon is exceptional at them. They are known for these qualities. They put them on display in their lives regularly. And so a deacon is someone who excels at implementing these qualities in their lives. All right, so deacons are servants. Their, their job is to lighten the load of, of uh, elders and to aid in both practical and spiritual needs. And what qualifies them is having exceptional character. Let's take a look at, at our other um, uh, uh, leadership in, in, in the church. We'll look at elders here. Uh, so what is an elder? Right, well, as we, we talked about earlier, um, our passage for today uses the term overseer when describing the qualifications. Right? Again, that term is synonymous with elder. Another term you might hear thrown around is pastor. Um, that's probably the term that I use most often when referring to, to myself or to David or other pastors in this city. Um, I think it's one that our culture would, would most understand. The, the term elder could have a couple of different meanings and might not be understood as a formal position in the church. An overseer is, is not really a commonly used term in our day as a formal title in the church. And so I most often choose the term pastor. Scripture, however, uses pastor, elder, and overseer interchangeably. Um, again, all these, all these terms are uh, synonymous. They essentially mean the exact same thing. Um, so what is, is an elder then? Um, a famous uh, pastor in the States named James Copeland once told me that the pastor's job is to guard and to guide. To guard and to guide. And I think that's an apt description from what we see in Scripture of the role of the elder. Let's, let's look at those two things a little bit more closely here. First, let's look at to guard. So Paul calls elders to this in the book of Acts, right? In, in, in chapter 20, he says this. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So there, there's a warning that, that Paul leaves um, that, that, that when Paul leaves, there will be some that, that try to infiltrate the church, right? Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul's instruction that he gives to overseers is to care for the church <coughs> and, and to protect them from these wolves, protect them from, from people entering the church that don't have their best intentions. Either they were trying to, to drag them out from the church or they were false teachers leading the church astray by their teaching. And Paul says here that el the elders ought to guard against the wolves. And similarly in Titus, Paul says this of the elders. Titus 1, 
Verse 9, he says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So again, elders are responsible for knowing scripture so that they can guard against false teachers and against false doctrine. Um, so what about guiding though, right? How do elders guide? Peter gives us, gives us elders some instructions of, of how to guide in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says this. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Notice the, the shepherding language in this passage. Elders guide as shepherds, being gentle, not domineering. They oversee the flock. They are examples to the flock. In other words, they guide them by modeling to them what Jesus looks like. They point them in the right direction towards Jesus. So, so elders guide by being gentle overseers of the church and being, by being examples of Jesus. Um, Acts 6, which we read earlier, also tells us that the elders guide the church through the, the teaching of the word and prayer. This is what the elders were trying to get back to when they assigned the deacons, right? So there's spiritual guidance as elders devote themselves to prayer and the preaching of God's word. These are a few ways that elders guide the church. So elders are called to guide and to guard. Then, as we looked at with deacons, here likewise we should ask the question, what are the qualifications to become an elder? Um, again, 1 Timothy uh, 3 is where we can look at this. Um, Paul says this, he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And while uh, we could spend a, a great deal of, of time here again, going through these characteristics. We won't, um, and here is why. Um, you may have noticed, but the list of qualifications for an elder is nearly identical to a deacon. Husband of one wife, sober-minded, respectable, not a lover of money, manages his household well. All of these are the same qualifications that exist for the deacon. However, a couple qualifications do stand out um, that, that are different um, from, from 
the deacon. One of them, which I'd like to point out here today, it comes from verse 2, and it says um, that a deacon, or sorry, excuse me, uh, that an elder must be able to teach. Elders must be able to teach. What this doesn't mean is that an elder has to preach, right? There are plenty of other avenues for teaching within the church, such as a Bible study. Um, for us, we have members gatherings, perhaps within discipleship groups, this could be exercise or, or teaching to the church in smaller groups on a specific topic. Um, elders may share the pulpit as we do in this church, but it is not a requirement that they do so. Um, but Paul does say that an elder must be capable of teaching, and, and presumably that means exercising that gift within the church as well in some way. So, all this to be said, if you are not an elder or a deacon, you may be wondering, what does this have to do with me? Right? How does this message apply to my life? Um, well, I would urge you to, to think through this question. How then should I relate to deacons and elders in the church? Right? How, how ought I relate to the leadership in this church? And I'm going to give you a, a few verses to, to ponder when thinking about that. 1 Peter 5, again, we read the few verses of, of this earlier. Um, here's what it says later in verse 5. It says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Peter calls the church to humbly submit to the elders. What does Hebrews say? Hebrews 13 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not been benefited, which have not benefited those devoted to them. Two things I'll mention here. Uh, the author of Hebrews calls the church to imitate the faith of the elders and not to follow strange teachings, right? This, this speaks to trusting the teachings of the elders as long as they teach in sound faith. So imitate the faith of the elder and trust in sound teaching. In all of this, what I want to say to the church. Be like Jesus, right? Because that is what we see all of this is about. Right? Whether you are an elder, a deacon, or a church member, the call on your life is to look like Jesus. Members, submit to sound teaching of the word and apply it to your lives. Exhibit the qualities of a deacon, whether you are in that position or not. We are all called to be respectable, not greedy, not a drunkard, faithful to, one, to, to, to our spouse, uh, true to our word, and called to cling to the gospel with a clear conscience. Serve like Jesus, self-sacrificially. That is a call to all who put their faith in him. Jesus made it his life to care for the needy, to love those who were, who were looked down on, to care for the sick, the widows, and the orphans. Whether or not you can commit to, to being a deacon or you feel that call on your life should not determine whether you live like one. 
because the deacon's call is to serve like Jesus, and that call is for us all. Deacons serve exceptionally. Seek to lighten the load of the elders. Take initiative to deal with practical matters in the church and spiritual ones. Love the church tangibly like Jesus did. Elders, shepherd the church like Jesus. I say this to, to myself, David, and, and anyone aspiring to get into ministry. Love the church like he did. Guard and guide. Protect against false teaching that may enter into the church. Speak the gospel into people's lives. Pray for the church. Guide people to the cross where their sins are paid for by the great shepherd. I want us to, to wrap up in just a minute. Um, I want to end this, um, this with a, a quote from Tim Keller. Um, this is a quote that was in um, this book called Deacons that Stephen, Juan, Dwayne, and I um, read through together. Um, this is a quote that really stuck with me. It's Tim Keller, um, and he's speaking on Jesus at the Last Supper with his disciples. And this is what he says. He says, First of all, Jesus washed feet despite his impending death. Jesus was to have the wrath of God poured out on him. He was feeling the tremendous weight of that even at the supper. When we are hurting with a load of care on our backs, do we look around and notice that people's feet need to be washed? Do we look for little ways to serve? No, we are usually absorbed in our own troubles, and we want people to take care of us. Our, our real servant does not say, when I get my life together, when I get over my blues, when I get my schedule in order, then I will start to minister. Perhaps you are hurting it, and you may even be angry because no one is noticing. But where would you be if Jesus had that attitude? Second, Jesus dis served despite the unworthiness of the disciples. Right? Notice John's reminder that Jesus knew the betrayer was present. Jesus saw them all. One betrayer, one denier, all forsakers. When he needed them most, they would leave him. One of those sets of feet was dirty and sore from an errand that arranged for his torture and death. And what did Jesus do? He washed those feet. So regardless of, of our title within the church, uh, I pray that we would seek to love God, to, uh, to love others with this kind of heart. Um, I want to just wrap up again um, with a message um, to, to those who are being installed as deacons today. As you might know, um, today we'll be installing three deacons in the church. Um, today, this, is, this is a big day for us as a church, and I really wish I was able to be there in person to witness this. Um, but I trust that you are in very good hands um, with David. Um, and I wanted to, to take a minute to just speak to these individuals. Um, Juan, Stephen, and Dwayne. Um, over the past few months, David and I have had the privilege of helping you process through your call to become deacons. You have been recognized by your servant qualities, and I pray that through the work of the Holy Spirit on your lives, you grow into this position to love 
and to serve the church like Jesus. You are called to the formal position of a servant, a deacon. You are called to, to help ease the load of the elders, to help with practical needs and with spiritual matters in the church. Would you do so for this church, seeking to be like Jesus daily, seeking his character and his servant heart for the church? I'm going to close us with prayer, um, and then we will wrap up. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.